something Shannon said when she was talking about Acts chapter 2 reminded me of something. First of all, the Jesus, just before he ascended into heaven, after, after raising from the dead and being on the earth for 40 days with his disciples and with others, he said, go into Jerusalem and wait. Right? He said, go and wait. Go and wait. I don't think they had any idea what they were waiting for. Right? And we know that. We've studied that. We, being on the, the other end of it, see what happened to him all through chapter 2 in the beginning and all through Acts for that matter. But I can really understand what they felt, at least a little bit, when he told them to go and wait. Because almost five years ago now, August 7th of 2014, This coming August 7th will be five years from the first day that the Lord manifested and spoke. And I remember that day, it was on a Thursday night, and we had, I want to say, maybe 25 young people or so, and a couple of us slightly older people. (laughs) Right, Wendy? Oh, no, I'm older than many, me me too. That's why I said slightly. You guys probably didn't know it, but we're in our 30s now. But I remember that night and Symanthia gave the lesson and it was really good about hearing the voice of God. I've told this story before, but it didn't hit me quite like it. It did during worship today. And the thing that kept sticking in my mind from what she had said is, have you ever asked for the presence of the Holy Spirit and asked the Holy Spirit to speak and then just waited? Just waited in silence for Him to speak. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And, and, and so, so when she was done, I walked forward and, and I, I was just single thought at that point. And I said, you know what, we're not going to break into groups. We're not going to do what we normally do. We're, we're just going to get in a circle and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us. And then we're going to be silent until he does. Even when the words came out of my mouth, I'm thinking, I cannot believe I'm saying this. Because I've never experienced it before. See, just like the disciples, I was told to go and wait. Not knowing what was about to happen. The disciples didn't know what was about to happen. But when the Holy Spirit fell, He fell in such power. He fell in such grace. It was extraordinary. Changed the world. Right? Changed the world. It birthed the church. It birthed the bride. I want to share with you, when, when you worship, if you are worshiping through a lens of emotion, you're not getting it. If you are worshiping through a lens of intellect, you're not getting it. 
See, the Bible says that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. It's the truth of who Jesus Christ is and knowing who He is and then saying, yes, my body, my emotion is yours. I'm not saying you won't be emotional. (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, when the Holy Spirit falls and you have given control of yourself to Him, the last thing you're going to worry about is being emotional. The last thing you're going to be worrying about is controlling the situation with your intellect. See, a true worshiper, a true worshiper is in spirit and in truth. Knows the word of God, has relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Understands that truth, but is not worshiping in this realm. That's kind of hard to understand. See, when we worship, we, well, we're in 3D here, right? Right? Height, length, width, and then time. That's, that's our world. Now when you worship, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be outside of your world. Outside of who you are. That's why an intellectual person that focuses intellectually on it will never Get it. Never. That's why you can have a PhD. You can have in, in PhD in theology. You can know, you can have memorized the entire Bible and intellectually know every nuance of the Word of God and still not understand the Spirit. Because God is not known intellectually only. The intellect has to be there. His word has to be there. But if you don't give him who you are as an emotional being, there's a portion that you're going to hold back always. And then there's that peace. There's that peace that he never gets a hold of. You know, (laughs) the last two weeks, uh, no, last, I don't know, last three or four weeks, have been a struggle for me. And I want to share that because you may think that, well, you know, Greg, Greg doesn't have these kind of issues of it's difficult to wait. It's difficult to not move forward. It's difficult for this. It's No, I have the same issue. I have the same issue. And what what he's been just laying so heavy on my heart is this this battle with faith. You know, I, I have a lot of faith. I have a gifting of faith. It doesn't mean that that faith is automatic. You still have to step out in that faith. You have to stand in agreement with that faith. That's what he's been laying on my heart because, you know, here at Ignition, and, and, and I'm just talking to the family this morning. And, and, and I know people online will get this too because they're dealing in their own situations, but I'm just talking to the family here. We've had so many promises. 
And, and we see the collateral damage of those promises unfulfilled. You know, we see Carson still in pain. As Brooke mentioned, and Bryn not able to be here because of that. We, we see others in sickness. We see other people dealing with situations that they shouldn't have to deal with. Certainly not if the Holy Spirit falls. Because if the Holy Spirit falls, there's no room for any of those situations, right? So then it's difficult to wait. And what Satan tries to do is he tries to steal the very faith that will build the foundation for that in the first place. And I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I live in a three-dimensional world plus time. I know probably better than anyone the promises made to this church. And yet deal every day with the lack of that. Right? With the unfulfillment of that. And let's be real for a second. You could choose to ignore that and say, well, that doesn't affect me. And just wait, because it will. You'll go through a day where it does. Or you could begin to understand that that's the very cost of believing. You know what? Let's, let's turn to Hebrews 11. Everybody knows this verse. We're just going to read. I don't even know what he's going to have us read here, but let's begin at verse 1. And Father, I pray that your words come through my mouth, none of my own. Lord, I give you my hands, I give you my feet, my mouth, my eyes. Everything about me, Lord, I give to you and I ask your will be done. As you've planned it in heaven in Jesus' name. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay? Really get this, let's break it down. It is the assurance. What is assurance? the guarantee. Faith is the guarantee of things hoped for. That means things not yet happened, not yet seen. It is the conviction of those things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. See, we talk about a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, and then, and then if you listen to me at all, you, you hear oftentimes that there's a lot less differences than you think. Right? But there was a major difference from the Old Testament to New. See, in the Old Testament, when they died, they went to Abraham's bosom if they believed in, who, who, in a coming Messiah. They didn't go to heaven like we, we would go to heaven right now to be with Christ. They went and they waited in Abraham's bosom, which was in the earth. We know that it was just across a, a great cavern from the abyss itself. Right? 
And it was when Jesus died and paid the penalty for sin, for death, he went down into the belly of the earth. What? To set the captives free. What captives do you think he was setting free? He was setting those Old Testament saints who believed in a coming Messiah. He literally had the key to death. And he went and he unlocked those doors. He unlocked those chains. And the Bible says, it it, it says later on even in, in this chapter, that he became the first of the resurrection. But see, he was the first of many. That's why when we die right now, we don't go to Abraham's bosom. We go and we're immediately with Jesus Christ. We go to heaven. Why? Because he was the first. He came and he paved the way. But it was by faith that the Old Testament saints did that. And I just want to go down. Let's go down to verse 8. Because I love Abraham's story. And this is, this is part of his story in this faith chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. It wasn't his land. It wasn't where his family was. It was a foreign land. And he was he obeyed when he was told to go there from God. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. For, and this is, this is the key, guys, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, he was looking for the new Jerusalem. He was looking for that city, for that nation that would be ruled by a coming Messiah. That's what he was looking at. Now, he didn't have the benefit of history like we do. See, the Bible says he never, he never experienced that on earth. In fact, we know some, some, what, 3,000, 3,500 years later, whatever it is. Maybe, yeah, 3,500 years later. We haven't experienced it yet either. But we have the value of history being able to look. We have the value of, of the Bible showing Jesus and the gospel in his life. We have that that we could... He didn't. He didn't. He had to believe by faith. And he said that what he looked forward to was this city... This land whose designer and builder was God. Verse 13 says, these all, and and there were many listed in this chapter, but these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and and exiles on the earth, not... Not Abraham in that new land. It wasn't that he was in exile in the new land. He was literally in exile on the earth. See, do you think of yourself that way? Do you think you belong here? We live here, but do we belong here? 
No, we're exiles here. We're exiles on this, on this earth. Why? Because we don't belong to the father of this earth. For people who seek thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. <laughs> seeking a land that's, that's far better. And let's just go down to verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be, be made perfect. Did, did you get that last statement? Apart from us, what, what Paul's saying here is, or I believe it was Paul that wrote Hebrews, so the writer of Hebrews. What he's saying here is, apart from the bride, apart from the New Testament bride, they could not be made perfect, the Old Testament saints. Because without Jesus Christ coming and being the first to be resurrected. Because he gave his perfect sinless life. He paved the way for the bride then to make perfect those who believed in the Old Testament. Those who believed in a coming Messiah. So Paul is laying all this out. And he says in the first verse of, of chapter 12, he said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, do you get that? Do you get that we're being watched? We're being seen by so many others that are not in this room. And, and not, not by angels. I mean, we know, we know angels are all around us and see us and everything else. But this great cloud of witnesses. Paul's talking about this, these Old Testament saints and those who have gone on before us. This cloud of witnesses that is literally viewing the movement of the bride. The bride becoming ready. I mean, oh, I, I just wish I could be a fly on the wall. In some of the conversations they have up there, it's like, yeah, 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 go, 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 go. This great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about what that says. The joy that was set before him. I don't know about anybody, including myself, I mean, we may have some people, if, if the Lord told you, you are to be a martyr for me, you're to be beaten and hung on a cross for me, just, just like they did Peter. We might have the courage to say, okay, and I'll walk into it. But you know what? We're going to walk into it with a little bit of trepidation. We're going to walk into it, certainly not with joy. I'm speaking for myself. What did Jesus do here? It says it right here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before What do you think that joy was? What do you think that joy was? 
I mean, when he went down and he, picture, picture him unlocking those, those chains, unlocking those cages. I don't know what they were. Maybe, maybe knocking down a door. I don't know, but, but imagine the, the look of him going down and setting the captives free. And then rising from the dead, and, and then, by the way, they all rose after him. And look at the history books. Jerusalem was in a tizzy for those next 40 days. Why? Because it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus that rose from the grave. There were many others in Jerusalem's like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? But see, he had joy in going to the cross because he knew what it would purchase. It would purchase the very possibility of relationship between you and him. Think about the cost. Go all the way back in, in, in the, um, Ignition College. We, we have been going over Genesis and, and creation. Think about why we were created in the first place. Think about, say, those first hundred years before Adam fell. And the perfect unity, the perfect communion that they had with God. The relationship they had with God. Think of it from God's point of view. He created mankind, men and women, for relationship. Because the, the angels weren't created for relationship. They were created for obedience. And a third of them screwed that one up. Right? But men and women were created for relationship. That's why God created us. That's why he created you. So imagine a fallen mankind. Especially in the Old Testament. When, when they, they didn't get to go to heaven to be with God, to, to even be with the Son of God or to be with the Holy Spirit because they were put in a place that they had to wait. They had to wait. Now, I'm not saying it was a bad place. Certainly better than the other side of the chasm. <laughs> right? But they had to wait. Well, look at it from God's point of view. God had to wait. He had to wait almost 4,000 years from the beginning when Adam fell, when he broke that relationship. God had to wait. Now, in God, with God, a day is like a thousand years, right? A thousand years is like a day, but he still had to wait. It still broke his heart that he couldn't be in relationship. So imagine Jesus going to the cross, knowing that he was going to be in this insane physical pain, knowing that he was going to be in pain because of being betrayed by those he loved, by those he's giving his very life for. But yet he's thinking in his mind, I am about to free up millions and millions and millions of people to have relationship with my father. Yeah, I'm in joy. I'm in joy. 
see, that was the God part of him. The human part of him was, Lord, there's any way this could happen without the pain part. Then do it. But your will, not mine. See, it was faith that took him through that. It was faith. So, right now, how do we keep that faith in walking where we're walking, knowing that these promises are coming, but they're not here yet? I don't know about you, but Satan uses these voices to tell me, well, you know what, maybe you misunderstood that promise. Or, or maybe, maybe it was for a different time, or maybe it was for this, or maybe it was for that. And you begin to question in your mind where you're at, because you take your circumstances and apply it with the promises, and they don't fit. They don't work, because the promises aren't here yet. So, so God, okay, you know, I really thought that by the ladies' conference, your Holy Spirit would have fallen. But yet we've gone through the ladies' conference and it hasn't fallen. Lord, I really thought, I really thought that by the time we go to Nigeria, your Holy Spirit would have fallen in power. And by the way, we need to walk like He will. But do you understand your relationship with Jesus Christ is not dependent upon what He does in fulfillment of His promises. If it was, then He owes an apology to all of the Old Testament saints that we just read about. Because He said they never received their promise here on this earth. So if that is what is driving you in your relationship with Him then you need to intellectually understand the falsity of that. And understand that relationship is there for you right now. The depth of that relationship is paramount in what He wants to do inside you. And what He wants to do with this church. Each one of you have a calling here. Each one of you have giftings that He wants to manifest in you. But do you understand? He can't. He can't in a, in a perfect plan of His unless you have given Him your relationship. Not dependent upon what He's doing. Because He already did everything. He purchased the right to relationship with you on the cross. He purchased that for his dad. Think about that. The son of God. The son of God who was equal with God the father. By choice because the father's will. By choice became a man. Lived a perfect sinless life. To only offer that life. As a perfect sacrifice. That's why he's called the lamb. But it was from that perfect sacrifice that opened a door for relationship. And I know we talk about this all the time. But guys, if you get anything in life, it's got to be this. He opened up the door of relationship because God the Father prior to Jesus dying on the cross could not look at mankind. 
He couldn't. That's why they were in the earth. And they weren't in heaven. He could not look on them. But when Jesus died on the cross, and His precious blood was spilled for mankind, all of a sudden, those who accept Him, who believe in Him as Messiah, and receive Him into their heart, they get this filter poured all over them. And it's a filter of Jesus Christ's blood. So now the Father can look on us through that Jesus filter. If you don't believe me, look at what happened when Jesus died. What happened in the temple? Between the holy place and the holy of holies, where the Father dwells. Right? There's a curtain. And that curtain was torn from the top to bottom. That's symbolic of that boundary between God and man being ripped. Because Jesus Christ took that on. So when you build relationship, when you build relationship, he's, he's literally looking at you through this filter of Jesus Christ. But in that, we still struggle with faith. We struggle. You know, I mean, you can come and, and have a high on Sunday, and luckily there's only one day between Sunday and Tuesday, so you can get back up on Tuesday, but then you got a good four days. And by Friday, oh man, he's just got me beat down, and I don't know what I believe anymore. You know, I, I'm just... I'm emotional, I'm trying to sense my emotions, and, and my emotions are down, so therefore I must be down, and, and, and I just get in this place where all his promises are no longer in bold Helvetica. <laughs> okay, for those of you who, uh, who, who use nowadays fonts, I don't know what name would be. <laughs> bold print. All right, y'all need to grow up. Bold print. Instead of bold print, it's kind of faded. By Friday, it's kind of faded. By Saturday, I don't even know what I'm doing. Boy, we, we need some kind of get-together so I can so I can get my Jesus on again. And, and I can feel that emotion again. And then I can feel like I'm on track. Do you understand the, the issue there? This word feel. How I feel. How do you think Jesus felt when he was being beaten? Do you think maybe it ran through his mind, oh, this was a mistake. Uh, wait, wait, wait a second. Can we just stop? I got to get to temple and, and I get, well, he can't get his Jesus on because he's Jesus, but <laughs> I got to get my God on so I can come back and deal with this. No, see, there was a perfect marriage inside of his heart, between intellect and between emotion. His intellect knew who he was. He had learned through faith who he was. And the emotion was the overwhelming love that God put in his heart for the people that he was being beaten for. Now, 
we can either look at Jesus and say, well, we can't really follow that because he's God. You know, we can't really duplicate what God did. Or you could believe the word of God and believe that Jesus did nothing as God when he was on this earth. Everything he did was as a man. Everything he did was the will of the Father. None of it was his own will. So he, by faith, learned who he was. He, by faith, knew what, what God's will for his life was. Why? Because he built relationship with him. If we talk about hearing God's voice all the time, that for me was a game changer. I, I, I've taught the word of God for, I don't know how old I am now, 35 years, 30 years, whatever it is. Taught it for years and years and years. Never truly understood the voice of God because I never truly believed that he would speak to me outside of this book. I never understood relationship. I never understood that communication was a key factor to that relationship. When I began to understand that through relationship, I can learn his voice. First of all, so many more things made sense to me. His sheep know his voice. Okay, does that mean his sheep know the Bible? Oh no, they know his voice. Because they built relationship with him. So I knew I had the opportunity in building relationship with him to hear his voice. What kind of relationship with you can you build with somebody if you have only one-sided conversations? It's kind of tough. Especially on the spirit side. Not so tough on the intellect side. Because see, I knew the word of God. I knew it. I taught it. I studied it. I had a passion for it. But I knew it intellectually. And yet, what he wants is us to walk in faith, knowing him in truth, but in the spirit. See, something else happened, which was extraordinary. When Jesus Christ died on the cross. You okay? Making me need some water. Something else extraordinary happened. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he opened up something that we call his kingdom. Right? His kingdom. He literally brought his kingdom to earth. So, so now in building a relationship with him, we're, we're able to do that because he brought it here. See, cause you can't just build a relationship with him intellectually. You can't build a relationship with him knowing who he is and the parameters of what he does and this is what he is and this, if I do this and A plus B equals C. See, a relationship takes time. A relationship is walking as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the garden. Walking, having conversation, getting to know. And I don't mean him getting to know us. <laughs> he knows us. He created us. But we get to know him. You get to know him through interaction. And building that relationship when Jesus rose from the grave and brought his kingdom here. It made that possible. But let me tell you something. It made something else possible. 
It made other voices possible. It gave way to the enemy to try to do the same thing. That's why the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. And I know each one of us can give example of when Satan comes to our minds and, and, and just says, no, this isn't true, or oh no, don't believe this, or, or maybe, maybe what he said wasn't really true because this hasn't happened or that hasn't happened. We get filled with these voices that tell us other things. Now, for some of us, those voices are literal. We hear them. For some of us, those voices are a feeling. Maybe an expression. Maybe a reaction. Maybe just a thought. And we, we kind of think, well, it's our thoughts. We think, well, this is our thought, so, so if it's my thought, it must be me, and there must be something to it. And all of a sudden, we start diving down this road, assuming a truth of something that may not be truth at all. In fact, it may not be from God, it may be from the enemy. I, I want to tell you something, if you walk away with nothing else this morning, well, two things, walk away with relationship, <laughs> Right? But if you could walk away with one other thing, I would say don't assume that every thought that comes to your mind is yours. I know that's pretty basic, but see, in the moment, it's easy to think that it's yours. I want you to turn 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says this. For we walk in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. There is a lot in these three verses. A lot in these three verses. And I'm not going to unpack it all this morning, but I want to unpack some of it. And I want to encourage you, take it home, unpack the rest of it. Because there is power in here when you, when you really understand what this is saying. But I'll unpack a little bit to get you going. First of all, we know we don't walk in the flesh. Right? We live in the flesh. What do you mean I don't walk in the flesh? I'm walking right now and I'm in the flesh. So... What do you think that means when it says we don't walk in the flesh? It means that your eyesight, your understanding of everything around you is not to be in the flesh. If it is, wow, you're so limited. You're so limited in understanding what's even coming against you. If you had a thought, okay, that was against God that just pops in your mind, let's say... Let's say that a demonic spirit is whispering in your ear 
and you have this thought. If you're walking in the flesh, you're not seeing or understanding that something is speaking to you. You're just thinking, where'd that thought come from? Wow, okay, there, there must be something going on. I, if I had that thought, it must be because, and you start going down this road to validate that thought. When in the first place, that thought may not even be yours. That thought may not even be truth. Whereas if you walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, immediately a thought comes to your mind. And I can tell you this by experience. Immediately a thought comes to your mind and you know, that is not my thought. And you can then immediately quantify it and deal with it. Because demonic spirits, Satan uses them to speak to us all the time. If you don't think that, you've already lost the war. If you don't think that Satan uses them to whisper into your ear, you've already lost. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you recognize that the enemy is coming out at you, and yet your warfare is not in the flesh, but it's in the spirit then you could go to war. And you could recognize, okay, wait a second, where'd that thought come from? Now, some of them you may know, okay, that was not God. Immediately you're aware of that. That was not God. I can't tell you, I don't know, it's the, I probably shouldn't admit this, but it's the weirdest thing. Sometimes I'll be driving down the road, and especially at night when, you know, headlights are bright and stuff like that. I'll be driving down the road and, and there's a car coming the other way and I have this, this urge to just turn into it. Yeah, it wouldn't have a great outcome, right? Okay, now, whose thought do you think that is? Right? I mean, there are some that are pretty obvious, right? It's like, yeah, no, you, you may want to just, you know, kind of ignore that one, tell it to leave, stop. And, and it's funny how if I don't deal with it, it'll get louder. Now, I don't know if that's because not dealing with it is giving it authority. I don't know. I, I, I would have to really sit down and figure that one out. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's more that, that when you don't deal with it, it gets louder just like a little kid. Right? They start being bad, being bad, being bad. If I just ignore them, they'll stop and they'll be good. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Any of you, and I know most in here are not parents, but, but remember, when you were a kid, uh, you probably don't remember you being bad, but trust me, every one of you were. <laughs> right? Okay, if, if, if I don't deal with that, it's gonna get worse. So, so in my mind, if I have a thought that comes in that I know is not God, I deal with it. Now it's not hard to deal with. Get out of my head in Jesus' name. Period. If it keeps coming, then what's the Bible say? Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So if he doesn't flee as I am resisting, I go tell dad. Dad, he's not leaving. Get him out of here. What does he do? Boom, he's gone. I can tell you, I've done that hundreds of times, and every time it blows me away. Sometimes I get a kick out of him staying around long enough for me to tell dad. 
And it's like, it's like every time, boom, he's gone. I, I'll even try to think, okay, no, he's gone. I can't even manufacture the thought. Why? Because my weapons are not of the flesh. See, from the outside, like Alexis might be sitting in the seat next to me, from the outside, she just thinks I'm a great driver. She has no idea. The five head-on collisions that we just avoided. No idea. Why? Because my weapons are not in the flesh. My weapons are in the spirit. Because the enemy is in the spirit. Right? And if you don't fight in the spirit, you never understand the divine power to crush strongholds. That's the latter part of verse 4. Divine power to destroy strongholds. By the way, that's not just strongholds in you. That's where it starts. Right? We war in the flesh to, or we war in the spirit to war against strongholds that Satan has in our lives. But as those are being destroyed, we also war for others. We have a prayer call every night. Which you guys know. By the way, if you didn't know, we have a prayer call every night. 8.30. Right? On this prayer call, we fight for others. We fight for this country. We believe in this spiritual battle that destroys strongholds. And, and, oh my goodness. If you don't believe that, that that works, then I just say try it. Try it. Begin to understand the the weapons of your warfare. Or just get on the call. Because then you're going to see what we pray for comes about. It's extraordinary to watch. Why? Because His Word is true. It, It destroys strongholds in your life and then intercessing for others. We destroy. Now, by the way, it says we. We. Internal. We, I'll change that to I. You could change that yourself to I. Destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. There's two points there you got to understand. First of all, you cannot understand what is coming against the knowledge of God or the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God to recognize, wait a second, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Satan, no, I know that's you. Because the Word doesn't say that and you're a liar. See, you have to know the Word in order to have that reaction. In order to have that understanding. And it says here that I will destroy arguments. How do I destroy it? Because I know His Word. Because I know that the Word said, if I resist, you have to leave. You have to. You have to. You have to. Dad, he's not leaving. Then Dad comes in and says, yeah, you have to. Boop. 
right? If I didn't know the word, I couldn't go and I couldn't say, Dad, wait a second. You said in your word and by faith I believe your word. I have faith in your word and I know your word is true. I'm resisting. Get him out. That's where it begins with these voices. If if the voices are overpowering or the feeling is overpowering, the dread is overpowering and it it shows up in so many different ways. It's not just a physical voice or it's not just a thought. It could be this overwhelming feeling of doom. Perhaps caused by circumstances or whatever. It's still a lie. It's still a lie. It's still something that you have a choice to either agree with or not agree with. Your agreement with it gives it authority. If I were to agree with that voice in my head, well, first of all, then I wouldn't live. Right? But even in a calmer example, you know, maybe maybe I have this voice in my head, somebody offends me. Let's say, let's say down, you know, at DMV, that's a really good place to get offended. <laughs> right? I, I'm down at DMV and I, I, I'm just, this person just can't stand me for whatever reason. I know it's far-fetched. But just go with me on this. Right? And, and I have this thought to be offended. I have this feeling, this, this thought process that that isn't right. That isn't right. They, they have hurt me. They have offended me. And it goes from that hurt place to, in, in my personality, a protective personality. Wait a second, I can't let them do that to the next person. Because if they did that to me, they'll do it to anybody. So I can't let, and all of a sudden you're taking this thought that wasn't supposed to be yours in the first place. And you've given authority to it because you've agreed with it. I agree that I'm offended and I'm going to go with this thought. See, what if you did it just the opposite? What if you're dealing with this person and, and they're just nasty? They're just nasty. And, and you have this thought in your mind to let them know how nasty they are. I'll give them a piece of my mind. That might shut them up for the next person. Instead, you say, wait a second, Lord, I know your word, and I know that's not your thought. I bind that thought in Jesus' name. Lord, give me your thought. And all of a sudden, you look at them, and you see how Jesus looks at them. And you say, you say I, I don't mean to pry, but are you having a tough day? Because you know what? Jesus loves you. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It doesn't matter. But I'm so sorry you're having a tough day. You see the change that'll happen in the atmosphere. Why? Because it's not what is in them. It is what's swirling around them. And what you literally did in being in agreement with God, you literally took out this sword and you sliced just like just like Corey's vision the other day of slicing these demonic spirits. You just slice them off. You just slice them off. First of all, they never had any power in you to keep your sword in the sheath. 
right? You pull it out, you slice them off, and, and you see what it does. And, and, and if you've never tried that, try it. Oh my goodness, the, the, the person that I've seen do this the most is my wife. She will, you know, I think you go a little far when you pick up people in your car that you don't know. Just saying. But see, she sees way beyond the physical when she listens to the Lord to people she's supposed to talk to. And she builds these relationships with people that, I mean, we don't know them. But the Lord said, you need to do this. Because this person's hurting and literally nobody else will. I've I've been trying to get people that are around them to do it and they're not listening. So thank you for opening up your thoughts to know my thoughts. To recognize that this thought is from me and I just want you to talk to them. I just want you to break the atmosphere, tell them that I love them. That's hard, by the way. It's not easy. I'm not saying that knowing Jesus' thoughts is going to be easy. Obedience isn't. Obedience is obedience. You know, we all know what it was like to be a kid when, when it's like we have to be obedient, and especially when you're, when you're like in the upper teens and you're thinking, well, I'm my own person now. I got a job. I got a car. Can't tell me what to do. Well, you're right, and just get out of the house. Okay, you can tell me what to do. Right? Obedience is tough. It's tough. But it has its payout. I can't tell you how many relationships Alexis has built with these ladies all, all over the area that she met just in walking into a store or met them at a gas station or they had a sign up, need food? Are you listening to God's voice? Are you discerning whose voice it is? Or are you listening to the voice that would tell you to stop? Are you listening to the voice that tells you those promises aren't real? I want to tell you something, and this is what I keep telling God. If I go my whole life and I don't get to experience the promises that you've promised this church, it really doesn't matter to me. Because the promises are not my goal. It's relationship with Him. See, I'm in this interview, and we've talked about this before, I'm in this interview to have position with Him in heaven for eternity. So in, in the grand scheme of things, as long as what's happening on this earth in my life is what he wants, then who cares? Who cares? Who cares if, if I have to walk into a situation that I'm going to receive pain in? Who cares if I have to humble myself to build a relationship with somebody who hates me? Just so I could show him Christ. Who cares? Because if that draws me closer to Christ, that's my goal. That's the real truth. So we're to take these thoughts captive. 
that are not ours. Take them captive. After it says we destroy the arguments and and destroy these strongholds, it says take every thought captive for what reason? To obey Christ. If you want to build a relationship with him, if you want to know his plan for your life, if you want to live in that relationship, then you take every thought captive. What does that mean? The thoughts that you think are not his take captive? No, it says take every thought captive. Take every thought and say, Lord, is this yours? If not, deal with it. Get rid of the strongholds. But if it is, okay, Lord, then let's walk down this path. If this is your thought, I want it. Take every thought captive. Don't let your mind just wander. And I don't mean don't dream. I don't mean don't daydream. Man, I love to daydream. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what visions are for me is if you see me off in the distance and my mind just kind of goes like that, well, just let me be until I'm done. Right? So it's, it's not about letting your mind wander in that way. That's not what I'm talking about. But as you build relationship with the Lord, he'll tell you what thoughts are his and what are not. And, and by the way, some are so obvious. And, and if we're not in the flesh, they're clearly obvious. But take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And that's the one I'm going to let you unpack. If you go back to the first part of 2 Corinthians, you'll be able to unpack that because it's the very thing that Paul's doing right here. Okay? It's not about judging others. It's about through your own obedience going after disobedience in the church. And, and by the way, that's not being judgmental. Okay, that's, that's where the church has taken it and taken control of it and been wrong. No, think of the examples we just did. You know, if, if I really want to make a difference in somebody's life, what do you think is going to work better? If I come at them and say, wait a second, you're supposed to do this. I got these ten things you need to do to get your life straight here. Let me know when you got them done. Or if I begin to build a relationship with them and show them in my own life what obedience looks like. I'll tell you what, that's way more powerful. That's way more powerful to, to be able to show what relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Right? That's what it means when it's talking about Punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. See, you're not the one doing the punishing. When we walk in truth and we walk in the Spirit, it's the Spirit of God that does all that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and praise you. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
God, we thank you for your son who gave us the potential, the pathway for relationship with you. But God, there is a very real enemy that would subtly try to turn our pathway. Teach us, Father, how to take every thought captive. Where our minds in relationship literally become the mind of Christ, as your word says. That's what the enemy's really afraid of. Is your bride developing the mind of your son? Just as he did when he was on this earth, trusting you in who he was. Trusting you in faith in what you wanted to do in him. Because he said, everything that I did was of the Father. And none of it of his own will. So Father, we're to be the same. I pray that you teach us to take every, every thought captive. And do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. I love, love, love those verses in 2 Corinthians 10. I use those so often when it comes to the warfare. And I do believe the Lord wanted me to just say one quick thing before we close in announcements. And that is in this, he mentioned James 4, 7, which is the, you know, resisting the devil and he'll flee. But the first phrase of that verse is really the key to the weapons of our warfare being strong. And Greg has preached on this so many times when it comes to purity and, and our walking in relationship is walking in obedience. But that first phrase in James 4, 7 is submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And when you are faced with warfare coming at you, which we all are every day, if you are not submitting your life and your heart, your choices, your thoughts to God, you will not be able to resist the devil like you would if you're submitted. There is a um, there is a life of repentance. You know, repentance was that hardcore word, at least in our upbringing, that was always this hellfire and brimstone negative thing that just meant you were dirty, rotten, and you, there was no hope, at least in this paradigm. And God has since shown me that repentance is a call to drawing in closer to him, hidden away, hidden with him in the secret place. Uh, the Hidden with Christ is Colossians 3.3, 3, but we, we learn a lot about the secret place. And this, this submission, this constant repentance is so key. The Lord shows me every time those fiery darts, especially I love Greg's example of the person being mean and, and offensive to you. You know, those fiery darts that hit us, Come not just in voices from demonic the demonic realm, but they they hit us with the voice of humans from other people. You've ever been hurt or offended? Words pierce and they hurt. And without my shield of faith, it just it just cuts right through. And God has been showing me, you know, you've got to submit to my plan. You've got to submit to my thoughts and my ways. And this idea of repentance has got to be a lifestyle of. Just going before him and saying, God, not my will, nothing of my will. Because we want to win all these battles, but we don't always want to um, do it, pay the, pay the price 
of winning the battle, which is laying down our life, being crucified in our flesh with him. And so sometimes the battle that rages and sometimes the thoughts that hit us and the way to just finally stop them from coming, yes, is applying 2 Corinthians 10.5. But it's also perhaps saying, Lord, why is this continuing to hit me? Is there something unsurrendered? Is there something in my life that has opened a door of authority that's giving permission before your throne to the enemy to come and hit me over and over in this way? Because see, if there's a part of us that's not laid down, then God does want to get our attention. And and as a righteous judge, he has to allow sometimes the enemy to attack us if we've given permission in some way in our life. And ultimately, all of that, that repentance, that submission does draw us closer. It does bring us in a place of purity. And I, I love, we were talking about this some time ago, um, but, you know, we were talking about preparing um, our hearts. And one thing that is so true, and, and I loved even the way he said, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but Greg was like, you know, my desire is to live in a constant state of preparing my heart. Amen. It's not just a, okay, it's time, it's time to prepare my heart. You know, we want to live in a constant communion with God and, and a constant place of, Lord, show me immediately if there is a thought. See, when we can bring into subjection our thought life and our heart, the, the actions and the choices will automatically be there because it's what you think about that is brought about in your life. And, and so when we deal with the heart issue, that's one, th- one parenting advice that I got is, you know, when you're raising your children, deal with the heart issue. Deal with the, the, the reactions, the smirks, the, the sassy, you know, response. Because guess what? When that is dealt with, the behavior just takes care of itself. You know, when, when sassiness or heart issues are not dealt with, and you can't, you can't get inside of a heart, but I'm saying when you deal with some of that at that early stage, then you're not band-aiding a major problem later. And so this is, a, this is just a powerful, powerful message that is a, a need for a reminder all the time. We will always be facing battles. And to understand the power that God has given us is so extraordinary. We are overcomers. We are victors. I love, I mean, Romans 8 is just a, a, just a promise after promise after promise of what we have in him. But it does come when every time Greg says in relationship, it's like, what is, what is in relationship? It's like we've heard that now so many times on a practical level. Like he said so strongly, it is knowing God in his word. But it's God, what needs to be laid down in my life to then be more like you? Relationship with him is that we want to be more like him. We have been born again into a new life, transformed in our mind, like Romans 12 says. So that is something I now, every time I hear the word relationship, I think repentance, submission. What can I, and that, and the more I am drawn in in purity, the more, if, if, you can say you're, you're putting on your armor in that, but it's almost like I feel like it sharpens my armor because then I believe him for more. I, there's nothing, there's, there's a, um, a power in an unquenched life in the spirit. When, when the Holy Spirit is unquenched in your life, there's great power there, great power. Yeah. And, uh, and it will encourage you in the waiting because we're waiting for a lot of stuff. We're just waiting. That, by the way, re- waiting is the process of relationship. 
If there were no waiting, there would be no relationship. There would just be wild promise. Wild, there would just be reaction of blessing and promise. And But God wants relationship. We've been married now 30 plus years, a little bit, a little bit of a plus. We just had our anniversary, you know that. And I think, you know what? What has our relationship been? It's been a daily, you know, you get, you get some wild highs, some, some uh, celebrations, but it's not, it's not about a journey of events and wow. It's about a daily interaction, a building. It's, you know, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Amen. So it's also about a daily submission. Yes, wives submit to the, you know, God has a structure of the authority, but he submits to me as much because the husbands loved your wives. That's also a submission. Amen. And it's a constant thinking of others more than ourselves. And, and it's, it, it's a battle because our flesh rears up often and we have conflicts. But it's a journey that the, the journey of a relationship is we're waiting on many things. You know, you, you're waiting for the first child. Then you're waiting for the stages and, and mile markers in your child's life. Then you wait for retirement. Then you're waiting for this. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. But in the, in the process, there's beautiful relationship. There's sweet fellowship. There's great times together. And that is what God wants for us. Amen. So, um, so I just, I say this about every one of them. Listen to this again. I love, these scriptures are just ones that you're, you're hiding your heart, man, thy word, I hope you've applied that Psalms verse in Psalm 119, 111, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We don't want to sin. We don't want to be in a broken fellowship with God. So hide that scripture, especially yeah. both of those, James 4, 7 and 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Fantastic. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about what God's doing and I, I just cannot, um, I, I almost am, at times, in fact, it flooded me the other day. I was, was just getting on the elliptical, and all the, right before I did, this flood of, of, of almost like a, do you know how close it is? It was almost like a whisper where the Lord was saying, do you know how close it is? Mm-hmm. This, this tidal wave of my spirit, it just came over me, and, and I just had tears immediately, and I thought, really, before I get on the elliptical? Like, I, I got to be able to have, no, no, I didn't say that. But I was like, I, I just was like, Lord, am I ready? Like, am I ready for... I don't even, for the what, for the, for the what, something I can't explain. Lord, I just, I want to, I want to be ready. But it, it was this, um, almost like this, this visceral reaction to his reminder of yeah. the wow of Amen. what is about to come. And, and God just wants us anchored in him by faith. And, but be excited. Manage your expectations in the spirit. Because um, highs and lows and expectations felt unmet are often because they're processed through our flesh. He never, ever lets us down, ever yeah. fails us. And when you're in the spirit, you know that. As soon as you get in the flesh, you lean on your own understanding and you say, well, what about that? What about that? Well, that didn't seem good. Well, I was waiting for that. That didn't happen. That's all a fleshly reaction. Those are all responses to lies. God is consistently meeting and fulfilling us. But the big, big wow is coming. What, what Jesus said, um, more is coming. And, and sometimes I get that. And ask yeah. God, Say, you know, just give me an encouragement today. Give me, give me a, a, a glimpse. Um, but m- more often than not, and I don't know how, what he does with Shannon, because I know she's, this has been on her heart a lot to pray for the Holy Spirit falling. Sometimes the glimpse of his reminder that the tidal wave is coming will not come in that form. Sometimes it'll come in a, yes, I'm coming, and I want you to deal with this. Please deal with this so that the weight of my glory does not crush you, but it Amen. establishes you. Amen. Please deal with this. Don't avoid this, this habit, this issue, this whatever, just, 
you know, I'm working with you. I've been trying to deal with you on this. I, I've been trying to surrender. Take these thoughts captive, like he yes. says, because all of these things, he wants a readiness for every day, not just for an event, but for every day. But, but I, I, um, I'm very excited about what's coming. So I want to, um, make, a.